Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another episode of the Black History Fashion Show. It's your host, I'm back, Lester K. Hill. Took a little sabbatical, y'all, because it's crazy here in downtown Minneapolis. I moved to Minneapolis in 2019, and somehow I ended up in Detroit. And all I can tell you right now about Minneapolis, despite what you may hear or not be hearing in the media, is if you go outside right now, especially after 3 p.m. Central, you better be ready to throw down. You better be ready to (laughs) defend your life and your property if you're going to be strolling around downtown Minneapolis. So, your boy Lester, I've had other things on my mind, uh, namely self-preservation here in the upper Midwest. So I got off the microphone, took some personal protective measures, made sure my studio here is impregnable, and now I'm back on the microphone today. So going to do a little episode, not going to be anything serious. I'm going to warn everyone today, all of my millions and millions of fans around the world who are listening to this and any cosmonauts or astronauts in space who picked this up, I'm not going to talk black history today. Um, I'm not going to talk anything very heavy at all. It is a black history fashion show. We do cover fashion society. So I, today is a distraction, even a mental break for myself, and hopefully for you, I'll try to make it interesting. I'm just going to talk about the five best basketball players I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm going to talk a lot of NBA today. I'll try to make it fun. I'll just give you, take you down memory lane of a late middle age. <laughs> Can I? Is 50 still middle age? Yeah, I'm going to live to be 105. So yes, middle aged uh, man who has watched m- more hours of hoops than I care to admit. I used to play basketball. I've even dunked a basketball, but... um. You know, I, I loved the NBA. Loved that there was a D on there. I might get into that later, but we'll talk a little hoops today. Give you my opinions. Have some fun with it. If you're not a fan, catch me next time. If you're not a fan, you might stick around. You still might hear something to distract you on your drive or your jog or your walk. So we'll try to make it interesting. We'll come back and uh, after the break. And uh, jump right into it. But before we do that, though, I do want to say this. The alternative to today's episode was going to be talking about or making a comparison between uh, leadership, quote marks around leadership, leadership in the black community from celebrity, uh, celebrities, entertainers and athletes. Making a little comparison, maybe I was going to look at Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick, who may or may not be black, LeBron James, and I was going to compare them to Jim Brown, Jackie Robinson, and it would have been a fun contrast. I was also going to talk a little bit about Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. My great-grandfather was a Joe Frazier fan. I always watched the Frazier Ali fights with him. He always called Muhammad Ali Cassius Clay. He did not acknowledge uh, 
Muhammad's Muslim name. My great-grandfather didn't know anything about that. He was like, his mama named him Cassius. His name is Cassius. And you know what? Cassius is a great name. I mean, I, I know I wouldn't be switching my name. I don't care what kind of religious affiliation I have. My name was Cassius. You better believe I'm getting a big gold chain with Cassius spelled out. Believe that. But anyway, and you know what? Forget the break. Muhammad Ali, let me tell you about Muhammad Ali, my feelings. And they're unpopular. They are certainly in the minority. But all the more reason for me to say it, right? Muhammad Ali, great fighter. Great. Awesome. Great fighter. But his per, her, his influence in the black community was pernicious in a bad way. If you don't know what pernicious means. Muhammad Ali was a mouth piece he was a puppet for Malcolm X for Elijah Muhammad really more so than Malcolm X and he introduced um, or popularized I would say the teachings again heavy quote marks around that word teachings of the nation of Islam he mainstreamed the nation of Islam and Ali I think became more of an orthodox practicing Muslim because the nation of Islam is not really an Islamic organization I'm sorry to tell you that uh, for those of you who were confused about it. And Muhammad Ali represented, I think, the worst of what any kind of black leadership has looked like. Political or coming from the entertainment wing or athlete wing. Especially when you compare him to Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier grew up in the same country that Ali grew up in. Joe Frazier went and fought for the United States in the Olympics. Joe Frazier carried out his duties as a citizen for the United States. And Joe Frazier grew up with catching more hell than Muhammad Ali ever caught in his life. Joe, the reason Joe Frazier is thought of as a Philly fighter and not a fighter from South Carolina is because Joe Frazier had to flee South Carolina. He had to flee Jim Crow. He had to run for his life from an oppressive sheriff down in the low country of South Carolina. Go get a book called The Ghost of Manila by Mark Cram, K-R-A-M. So Joe Frazier goes to Philly. Tough guy, real tough guy. Joe Frazier had deteriorating eyesight from his early days as a fighter where he couldn't see certain punches coming. What does he do for Ali when Ali refuses to join the military? He wouldn't have had to pick up a gun, let's be real. He's broke because of his decision. Good for Ali. He lived by his principles. He was going to starve by his principles. I'll give him that. But guess who kept him alive? Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier loaned him money. Joe Frazier loaned him cars. Joe Frazier went and made the case for Ali before boxing commissions. Please let Ali fight. Please, please license him to fight. Joe Frazier did that. Didn't say a word about it to the world. He did that for years for Ali. Ali is finally allowed to come back and fight. And what does Ali do to Joe, Joe Frazier in front of the entire world? He calls Joe Frazier a gorilla. Implies that Joe Frazier is the white man, not implies, says he's the white man's champion. Implies that he's a sellout and an Uncle Tom. Muhammad Ali used the gigantic microphone that he had. His Twitter of the day, his Facebook media of the day to smear Joe Frazier, a real, true, black champion. That's what Muhammad Ali did. And 
He was cheered on by the press. He was cheered on by the white media. He was cheered on by the black elite to smear Joe Frazier in racial, racist, bigoted terms. Oh, no, Ali didn't mean it that way. He was just talking about Frazier's looks. It didn't have anything to do with race. He just called him a gorilla. Really? Okay, tell that to the dude who lost his job at ESPN because he said Venus Williams was using gorilla tactics. Not G-O-R-G-U-E-R. Gorilla. Sneak. Ambush. But because he associated a black woman with a gorilla, the sound being the same, the homonym, he lost his job, never got it back, never got an apology. So stop with that. Black people are compared to monkeys all the time, all around the world, every culture. So when Ali stands up there and calls Joe Frazier a gorilla in comparison to Ali, the fair-skinned Ali, I should say, and how pretty and beautiful he is, we all got the point. So... One of my soapboxes is crusading against the black elite in this country, how corrupt it is, how decadent it is, how weak they are, they, how, how they perpetuate white supremacy because you can only be approved by white folks. Your death only counts if you're killed by white folks. Your life can only be indexed to what white people have and what white people want. Don't look at them. Always look at white folks. So I'm not a Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali fan. My great-grandfather taught me that. My great-grandfather's father was a slave. So I think my great-grandfather was a good judge of character for who was really, really representative and good for black people and who were the fakes and the posers. All right. Didn't I say we were going to go to break? Okay. I'm smiling. I am smiling now. So we're going to go to break. I'm going to come back. I'm going to give you a quick hit. And you know what? I'm going to say this too. This hit that I'm going to give you about the NBA, it is definitive. So after you get this podcast in your ears, especially for you non-basketball fans, listen to this podcast and you will know definitively, without doubt, and incontrovertibly, who are the five greatest NBA players of recent memory. Be right back. All right, we're back. Hey, one more chunk out of Mr. Ali's behind that I'm going to take right now. Where's his gym? I know where Joe Frazier's gym is. It's in, uh, on Broad Street in Philly. So real black leaders, they leave legacies. They leave tangible legacies so that the least among blacks and anybody really, but at least among the black community can have a resource, an institution that will uplift them. The big mouth posers among black people who claim to be leaders, they don't ever leave anything behind. All right, now let's go on to the five best basketball players I've ever seen. Again, I'm 51 years old, been watching the NBA. I gave up on college basketball in the early 90s. I'm sorry, it's trash. Um, you know, 40 some odd years. First finals I remember, the uh, Portland Trailblazers, Philly. Uh, finals, Dr. J versus Bill Walton. Had been watching it and playing basketball maybe a year or two before that. Um, you know, remember hearing the, the names from my older brothers and things being pointed out and watching. And, and it was soon after that I just started forming my own opinions. So I got five. I got five people, and you'll notice a common theme throughout the list. One of the themes is going to be toughness. 
basketball is a is a sport that does require toughness. You think it's a finesse sport, but you have to be mentally and physically tough to make some of the plays that are required to be made in basketball. You're running like a fool. You are sprinting, and then you're in physical contact. There's times you can avoid contact. The best players don't avoid contact on either end. You got to have toughness. You got to be able to rally your team, rally yourself when things go the other way. So toughness at the highest levels is evident. But before I give you the top five, let me give you my honorable mentions. People that were players that uh, were tough to keep off of this list uh, because I really enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed watching them play. I admired their play, thought they were great players, and they are great players. Let's face it, if you make it to the NBA, you're great at basketball. Whether you play two minutes a game or don't play at all or you average two points a game or 20. Uh, for the younger people out there, I'm going to tell you, I left this guy off this list, but you need to know this was a real, this dude was a real, 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 real thing. He was the best player in the league for a few years. Right now, you probably only understand him as a guy who wears stupid shirts on TV and makes outrageous comments while commentating on college basketball. But I'm going to tell you right now, Bill Walton, if his feet weren't made out of tortilla chips, Bill Walton would absolutely 100% be in any conversation about the greatest player of all time. It's not in doubt. Go watch any old clips you could find of Bill Walton. Um, go read anything you can read about his college career, his pro days before his body started breaking down. That guy was the truth. And I'm going to tell you, here's a, here's a quick way you could go check it out. Go look at basketballreference.com. Go look at the roster of the Portland Trailblazers, that 77 team that won the title. Go look at that roster. Don't look at Walton's numbers. Don't look at anything like that. Go look at the other players and track those players through basketballreference.com. And they were young players. It was a young team. And what you will see is the great majority of those guys weren't even in the league two, three, four years later. They weren't even in the league. And it wasn't because they were 40 years old. It's because they couldn't play. <laughs> Bill Walton won a title. He beat a very good 76ers team led by Dr. J and some all-star level players like Doug Collins, Henry Bibby, George McGinnis. A stacked team. And Walton's team dismantled them. And Walton's out there playing with a bunch of guys who were playing at, at, at the YMCA in a couple of years. So use that as a measurement, if nothing else. Great player. Just a, just a, he was the best center in the league. In a league with Kareem in it, he was the best center in the league. Um, Charles Barkley, fantastic player. Had to leave Charles off the list. He's one of my favorite players. I'm probably softer on Charles than, than I should be because there was some years where Charles was not in shape. And uh, it hurt his team, but Barkley is a unique talent. I don't think you'll see anybody six foot four lead the league in rebounding ever again. Um, Kareem. Kareem's a great player. People don't like Kareem. This is the cost of, you know, Kareem's non involvement in the NBA is just a cost of him being a jerk throughout his playing career. That's been real, well chronicled. Kareem was, is obviously the leading scorer of all time in the NBA, had the most unstoppable shot. But he's not one of the five best, and I'll say it this way. If, if Magic Johnson never shows up in a Laker uniform, Kareem goes the rest of his career without winning a title. He won titles with Oscar Robinson, and he won uh, Robertson, and he won titles with Magic. 
I mean, two of the greatest players of all time to compliment him and his commitment to the game, his commitment to the, his teammates, always a little in question. And there were too many periods of Kareem's years, and I'm going to exclude after he turned 38. I mean, his longevity is fantastic, but there was too many periods in Kareem's career where he was not even the best center in the league. Walton's prime, Walton was a better center. Moses Malone's prime, Moses was a better center. So I can't put you in my top five. Um, Kevin McHale, Tim Duncan, they don't make the list. Those were hard cuts for me. Duncan is overlooked because he was so quiet. He played in San Antonio. Nobody likes the Spurs. But uh, Duncan is the closest incarnation of uh, Bill Walton, except for Duncan scored more. Um, They just had different games and they had different roles. Uh, Duncan's great player, Kevin McHale, is criminally underrated. Could not be stopped by anybody in the league could not be stopped. There's not one person in the NBA that could guard Kevin McHale. Not one. While on the flip side, that guy won six man of the year. I don't think he ever won defensive player of the year, but he was one of the best defensive players in the league. So if you if your game is I can't be stopped when I have the ball, but I can stop you when you have the ball, of course you're a great player. And that guy was great, great. Seems that he was just like, you know, carefree, happy-go-lucky guy, so he wasn't, you know, psychopathically competitive like the all-time greats were, and that is really the only thing that held him back. So those are my honorable mentions. Let's take a break here, quick break, and I'll come back, and let's talk about my top five. And it's not just my top five. I want to reiterate that, reiterate this. It is the top five. All right, talk to you. Shout out to Ty Lawson, who was kicked out of the Chinese Basketball Association uh, today or yesterday. I happen to know people in Ty Lawson's life. <laughs> and so I, I keep up with Ty Lawson, and I know he had his struggles with the bottle, and that cost him his NBA career, and he went over to China. And, uh, you know, Ty was kicked out of the league. Ty went to strip club, and... After his visit to a strip club over in China, Ty changed his opinion about the sexual allure of Chinese women <laughs> and uh, posted about it. Not even in a, a in a profane way. He just Ty said his opinion had changed after visiting a Chinese strip club. Well, that was too much for Chinese authorities, and Ty's out of the league. Ty, come on back to the states. Hopefully. Uh, well, it doesn't seem you've learned how to stay out of trouble. You're in strip clubs, but come on back to the States. Your American teammates will appreciate your sagacious wisdom and observations about the qualities of strippers and its uh, protected speech here. And I want to say this, too. I mean, so, Ty, we give people credit for, you know, since Deathbed is in the, in the, in the news now, um, you know, deathbed, <laughs> deathbed wishes and deathbed conversions, you know, Ty had a strip club conversion. Let's celebrate the man. All right, anyway, so let's get to um, top five. Number five. I'm going to go in reverse order, number five, because you need to stay all the way to the end of this podcast. I see you out there. Some of y'all listen to a little bit and go away. No, listen to the whole thing. Number five, Isaiah Thomas. Um, I got on the court at the farm. 
um, let's see, where did it, it, oh, Magic used to do this uh, Midsummer Night's Magic. He would have like a celebrity game in the summer. So you could get on the court before the game. Players down there warming up, you can just stand on the court. It was crazy. So I went on the court. This is at the Forum. It was back, uh, man, late 80s, mid 80s. And uh, so I go on the court. Isaiah Thomas is down there. I'm five foot eleven and seven eight inches. I just lie on my driver's license and say I'm six feet. But anyway, I'm five eleven, and Isaiah is listed as six one. I'm looking eye to eye with Isaiah on the court. Both I have on tennis shoes, and I'm a, maybe a smidge taller than him. Super great respect for anybody of an average height like that who could dominate, dominate a game. I'm telling you, Isaiah Thomas was the quickest player I had ever seen in my life until Jordan. Um, he was tough. He was smart. He could shoot. Fantastic handle. Great passer. And it wasn't. And the thing about Isaiah, he could do lots of flashy things with the basketball. And you would see it in all-star games. Him and Dominique Wilkins connecting in all-star games was just something that would make you stand up and holler. He never showed it in a game. I think playing at Indiana for Bobby Knight really helped him just he just focused on the fundamentals every once in a while Isaiah would let his dribble game out of the bag and do amazing things and every once in a while he'd make crazy passes during games and make you go wow but he kept it under wraps the guy could lead a team he was I mean watch game six of the 1988 finals against the Lakers where the man sprains his ankle in the uh third quarter of the game I mean really turns it really really turns it comes back, puts up 25 and a quarter, 42 for the game, and almost wins the title for the Pistons on one leg. Going against Michael Cooper, who was a little older, but still one of the best defenders in the league, torching Michael Cooper. Isaiah Thomas was, no one likes Isaiah now because we found out that he's a phony and that, you know, he's got some maybe some other flaws. Like, because none of us have flaws, of course, so we can all take it out on our righteous indignation on Isaiah because we're all perfect. None of us sin. None of us have any vices or problems. So when we see Isaiah, who obviously is a man who is flawed, of course, we can all judge him and be mad at him and stay mad at him for decades. Of course, this is how things work. So Isaiah is, you know, he's on the fringes of the league, but Isaiah is not remembered properly as an absolute killer on the court, absolute dazzling player, um, won a title at Indiana as a sophomore, won titles with the Detroit Pistons. Who cares about the stupid Detroit Pistons, right? And Isaiah made them champions, made them perennial contenders, uh, took crappy teams to the playoffs by himself, and he did it. And the man is 5'11 and a half. Fantastic player. Number four. Now, if you're under 35, you might want to sit down from this one. If you're out for a walk or a jog, you know, find a bench. It's going to be hard for you to process, but number four, LeBron James. He is not higher on this list because I told you one of the qualifications was toughness. LeBron will go down as, if not the most athletic player to ever be in the NBA, and that is quite a statement in itself. He's going to, if he's not the most, he's he, it's going to be a short list of people in front of him. Uh, LeBron. His combination of size and skill and athleticism is otherworldly. And I love watching LeBron play. 
I don't enjoy listening to LeBron talk about anything else, but I enjoy watching him play. He plays the right way. He hits his teammates with passes. He's not ball dominant. I mean, he's ball dominant in that he has it, but he's not just looking to get his shot off again and again and again, and he doesn't look to prove his dominance by how many points he scores. So LeBron is super athletic at his size, uh, his skill for his size. He, you forget that he's a forward. He's not a guard. His vision, the most outstanding thing about LeBron, and I read it this morning by, from one of his competitors, it's his vision. That's what separates him. His ability, to, his passing, his ability to make plays for other people. It is off the charts. And I think um, that is so criminally underrated for LeBron. He's an all-around player. He can play defense. He can rebound. He can pass. His shooting is a little bit of a weakness. So I would say, and when I say talk about LeBron's toughness, I'm talking about um, there are games LeBron's lost in his career that some of the other all-time greats would never lose. Um, there are things that LeBron has to have in order to succeed. To succeed. I, I told you earlier about Bill Walton. Bill Walton won an NBA title with a bunch of rec league guys. LeBron, the conversation around LeBron is always, well, you got to put these kind of players around LeBron. LeBron needs this kind of environment, and then he can win. Well, and to be fair, LeBron went took the sorriest team I had ever seen in my life to the finals, Those uh, that 2007 Cleveland team. That was just a terrible team. And he got him to the finals. That was all LeBron. But the the conference he was playing in was very weak as well. Um and he dominated a weak conference for many years. But for LeBron to succeed, the team has to be set up a certain way. And you have to play a certain style. Well, that's not true of other super super. And I'm talking about the top, 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 top players. That's not necessarily true. So that's my knock on LeBron. They're small, tiny knocks. But it's why I don't have him at number one. I have him at number four. He played... One of the best games I've ever seen. This will illustrate it for you. The game one of the 2018 finals. He's on his last year on Cleveland. Golden State's going to crush Cleveland. There's no doubt about it. Their Golden State's team is stacked. It's one of the best teams of all time. They're playing Cleveland. Cleveland is a weaker team. Game one of that series, though, LeBron goes for 58 points, 51 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. But they lost. He couldn't close it. They weren't going to win the series. I don't believe. But winning game one, maybe things change about that series. Maybe Cleveland gets a little more confident. Maybe Golden State has some doubts. You don't know, but he lost the game. And the game went into overtime after Cleveland leading. They lose the lead late. They go to overtime. And Cleveland loses its composure. I'm telling you right now, same scenario. Michael Jordan, Isaiah Thomas, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, that Cleveland team wins. They lost their composure because their leader lost his composure. He lost his composure because one of his lesser teammates made a mistake. So LeBron checked out of the game, baby. He was done. So one of the greatest performances I've ever seen in basketball. It would have been number one if they had won the game, but they didn't win the game. And the reason they didn't win the game is because LeBron's mental toughness waned. So he's number four. And all y'all out there under 35, you need to write that down and remember where you heard it. Number three, Larry Bird. Larry Bird ranks number one in toughness. I will always have this stamped on my mind. It was game four of the 1984 finals. 
and me growing up, Los Angeles Laker fan, purple and gold, purple and gold until I die. Um, here's the Lakers. No doubt that I had heard from the older people in my community, hey, Celtics dominate the Lakers. Lakers can never beat the Celtics. Well, you know what? About to change this year, baby. 1984, the Lakers about to get this title. They're going to beat the Celtics doing it, and we can all shut up about it because you could not beat that Lakers team. That was one of the greatest Lakers teams I've ever seen to this day. So it's game four. The Lakers had beat Boston in game one very soundly in Boston. Game two, the Lakers gave the Celtics game two. And when they replay that game on NBA TV or somewhere, I can't watch it to this day. The Lakers blew the game at the end, literally gave the game to the Celtics. So it's one-to-one. Then game three, Lakers crush the Celtics, crush them, just embarrass them. It's two-to-one. should be 3-0, but it's two-to-one. Now it's game four. Obviously, the Lakers are going to kill the Lakers. They kill the Celtics again. Going to get this series over. Well, the Lakers are winning. And I watched the Lakers that year, and if the Lakers got up eight, they went up 18 in a heartbeat. Those games were just, they just obliterated teams. They went on runs. If they were down, t- the Lakers down 10 was like the game t- was tied. So here they are against Celtics. They're up eight, they're up 10, they're up eight, they're up 10. And it's going like that, and it goes into the third quarter, and you're just like, okay, here we go. Lakers go put together a run, game is over. And it is when I noticed really, really noticed that there was a guy on the court who, (laughs) I don't know, it's like uh, these superhero movies or something, you know, you're hitting the gas, but the car is not moving, right? And you look behind you and there's this monster or this super strong superhero holding (laughs) holding the bumper, right? And the car can't go. That's when I noticed Larry Bird. Lakers getting ready to blow this game open. But there's this dude out there. He's getting every rebound. Offensive rebounds. Celtics miss, he got the rebound, put it back in. Lakers miss, he got the rebound, no second shot. Loose ball on the floor. First guy on the floor, Larry Bird. Ball going in the stands. Guy jumping in the stands, saving the ball, Larry Bird. (laughs) Great passes, setting up teammates for for buckets. Blocking shots. And I'm going, what's what's happening? What's going on? I'm sitting here, I'm watching the game with my mom and my stepfather, who really didn't care about basketball. But we're watching this game, and my mom goes, that man is possessed. What's wrong with him? She thought he was demon-possessed. I'm watching this game, and it became apparent to me the Lakers were afraid of this dude. His teammates were afraid of him. I've never seen anybody play like that. I've never seen anybody play harder. I thought he was going to have a heart attack and die on the court. I called my friend. He's been on this podcast. BT, I called him, and it was a no-no. We did not talk during Laker games. But it was alarming what I was watching. I called BT. He answered the phone, which told me he was alarmed as well. I said, are you watching this? BT told me, and BT, if you're listening to this, I know you remember. He told me, he goes, that man's on cocaine. Something's wrong with him. We couldn't believe it. Well, Celtics come back. Game goes into overtime. Celtics win. And the series was over. It was 2-2. Should have been 4-0, but it was 2-2. Celtics win the rest of the series. And I'm sitting there watching this, this dude who I thought was all hype. Who I, you know, I saw him at Indiana State, so I, I won't say I thought it was all hype. When he was at Indiana State, which is an incredible, incredible uh, March Madness run. The most incredible I can remember. Larry Bird just making draining shots all over the place. 
and Indiana State got to the championship of the NCAA. Now, there should be a documentary about that. There should be a movie about that. Indiana State went to the Final Four, went to the championship game, and played Michigan State, a Big Ten power. Crazy. And it goes back to what I was saying about LeBron. Larry Bird took Indiana State. He might as well have taken a junior college to the to the college championship back in the days when guys played four years and teams were stacked. He did that. And But you're thinking, well, he's going to get the NBA. They're going to shut that off. No, nothing got shut off. He got better. And he punked the whole league. He was the toughest dude in the league. Every dude in that league was afraid of Larry Bird. He was a great passer, great rebounder, and he had a great shot. He could shoot it from anywhere. Shoot it in your face. Absolute winner. Ultimate respect. And you, uh, like folks that know me, you know I hate the Celtics. There were years of my life I didn't even own green clothing. That's how much I hate the Celtics. But that guy, that guy's a winner. He's tough. Um, you can start any team with him in any era, and your team is going to be a championship contender. The pace and space era that they play in right now where you can carry the ball and all of this, and you can't touch anybody. Oh my gosh, Larry Bird would average 50 points a game if he wanted to. So, number three on my list, Larry Bird. Criminally underrated to this day. Number two. Now, I got to make another distinction. Some of y'all have been brainwashed. Our media is corrupt. We all know this. Um, you know, get a lot of writers... Went to school in Northwestern, so they were down for the propaganda. City of Chicago is a huge international city media center. Had a sorry team for decades, so they experienced a you know nice run with some wins. So they just went overboard. Um, but I'm gonna tell you, he's number two. It's true, and you need to deal with it. It's a sign of your maturity. Your basketball maturity, the sooner you accept this, is Michael Jordan, number two. Greatest thing that happened for the league was the pandemic, and America got to watch the ESPN documentary on the Bulls, Last Dance. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's fantastic. You get to see what win what winners are like. You get to see what a winning mentality is like. You get to see... All the things the rest of us don't have. Ultimate commitment. Attention to detail to a fanatical degree. The ability to block out personal reversals. The ability and, and succeed the, and thrive. The ability to overcome um, obstacles when things don't go your way. Um, sacrificing your body. I mean, he's the epitome of tough, skill, wanting to win. Uh, Michael Jordan is is fantastic, and I'm glad we all got to appreciate him once again. I'm glad it finally put a rest to these, oh, who's better, Jordan or LeBron? Well, come on. Yeah, you know, come on. It's not really a discussion, is it? It was the wrong discussion, honestly, and I'll get to that in a minute. Uh Jordan, again, I'm at the forum. Bulls are in town. I'm watching Jordan. That dude was so quick. And I told you, 
Isaiah Thomas was the quickest player I'd ever seen until I saw Jordan. It looked like he disappeared. That's how quick he was. He's standing in one spot, and somehow he reappears in another spot, and you never saw him get there. And then he's dunking the ball, and it's like slow motion. You couldn't, I, I'll speak for myself, I'm a Laker fan. I'm out of my seat yelling. I'm like, wait a minute, what am I doing? I'm, I'm cheering for this dude. He's on the other team. <laughs> total, just total excitement, total winner, totally tough, committed to what had to be done to win. But he's number two on the list. I love Jordan. Um, he was just great. He was fantastic. But he's number two. And he's number two for a reason. Number two because compared to number one. Because Jordan really was about Jordan. He wanted to win. True. But there is, there's never a world that exists outside of when he was at North Carolina playing for Dean Smith. And I don't know how long that would have lasted. And I don't know if it really did last. Where Jordan's not the leading scorer on the team taking the most shots and the team is successful. That world doesn't exist. Go watch the documentary. Lakers are putting it on on Chicago. Chicago's first time in the finals. Lakers are putting it on Chicago. Uh by the way, a finals where Jordan started off guarding Magic Johnson, but had to be pulled off of that assignment because all Magic was killing him and all Jordan could do was foul. Let's leave that aside for a minute. Um, and the coach, Phil Jackson, has to call timeout and say, "Who's Michael, who's open? And ask him, Michael, who's open? Michael, who's open? And force him to pass the ball to the open player so the team could win the game. In the finals... Not some game in January. <laughs> this is the this is for the championship. This is what all the sweat and sacrifice is for. And you don't want to give up the ball so you can win the game. And you have to be taught that. And you've been in the league eight years. You can't be number one on this list. So that leads me to number one. Should I take a break and talk about Magic Johnson? Nope, I'm going to just tell you. Number one on this list, Magic Johnson. Greatest offensive player of all time. What do you mean, Lester? He didn't score the most points. He's not in the top 10 for scoring. Greatest player of offensive player of all time. That's what I said. You need to memorize that. That needs to be part of your sports catechism. Who was the greatest offensive basketball player of all time? Answer, Magic, Irvin Magic Johnson. Go look at his basketball reference page. Look at the points per 100 possession numbers next to Magic. They are insane and consistently insane. This guy, if, if he's on your team, your team will not be stopped from scoring. And the last I checked in basketball, the object was to get the ball through the hoop. Do that more often than the other team and then you win. Well, here's a guy who was an absolute engine of offense. Therefore, he was an absolute engine of winning. And how did he do it? By scoring a whole bunch of points? No. Magic scored his, you know, 18, 17, 15. I think one year he averaged 22. I think that was his high. So that 
that tells you about a particular kind of genius, a particular kind of leadership, vision, skill, dedication. You can put any kind of team around Magic. They're going, that team is going to be one of the top offensive teams, if not the top offensive team in the league, because Magic is going to ensure that the game is played at a pace that benefits all the players. That's not even talked about now. Controlling the pace of a game, they talk about it a little bit, but nobody's really doing it. Go back and watch the 1991 Western Conference Finals, Lakers against Blazers. Blazer team is stacked. That's probably the greatest Blazer team of all time. Clyde Drexler, Terry Porter, Cliff Robinson, uh, Danny Ainge was on that team. Uh, Jerome Kersey in his prime. Kevin Duckworth. Young, fast, athletic, could shoot everything. Had best record in the league. Ran the Lakers off the court every time they played them. And look at the roster the Lakers had. It was Magic. It was a, a old James Worthy who had lost his quickness. And a bunch of other dudes. I think they had a young Vlade who didn't know a basketball from a pumpkin. And some guys no America's never, ever heard of. You watch the, go just, don't even watch the series. Go watch game one of that series. And watch what Magic Johnson does. And he did it the rest of the series. He controlled, the, literally controlled the clock. He controlled the pace of the game. The Blazers' one Achilles heel was their maniac point guard, Terry Porter, who played as if he was under the influence most of the time. Portland have, was racehorses up and down the court. Racehorses, racehorses, racehorses. And Magic Johnson played the game in mud, slowed the whole pace, not the game, but the whole series got played at such a slow pace that the Lakers could compete. They couldn't run with this with the Blazers. He slowed the game down. He controlled the way the game was played. I don't know of any other player in basketball history that you can say that about. This man controlled the way a series was played, at what pace and how it was played. That is the genius of Magic Johnson that can never be replicated. Uh, and anecdotally, I was watching an interview with Kevin McHale. Kevin McHale was being interviewed. And Kevin McHale said, if we could hold Jordan scoring down, we knew we would win. Just, you know, keep him from all these points, you're going to win the game. He goes, with Magic, Magic can score four points and dominate the game, you'd get your ass kicked. And he'd score two baskets. I don't know what says greatness more than that. You mean one of Magic's greatest games? He scored two points, and the bucket he scored was the tip in at the buzzer to beat the Sonics in the playoffs. And he had two points and like twenty-one assists or something like that. He made everyone better. He made it to where the team won. Twelve years in the NBA for Magic. He was in the finals nine times. Lost in the conference finals one year. Lost in the conference semifinals another year with just an old dog dead team that still won 60 games. Crazy. And then they lost in the first round another year where he had broke, um, what did Magic, tore up his knee. He didn't even play the whole year. just came back for the playoffs and they lost. College, made a Final Four. Then he won a title. Won the title in college. And then what, he won five titles in the NBA. He won the state title. In high school, went to college, won the college championship, went to the NBA and goes on all these runs. I don't even know how many high school titles Magic won. He might have won four. 
but he was just used to winning, always being in the finals. And he was the engine that drove winning teams. He created the culture on the team. Now, he was just as ruthless in practice as Jordan was on his teammates. Go read a book called Showtime, and you'll see that Magic set the tone for that for those Showtime Lakers teams off the court in practice. Nobody worked harder than him in practice. He did everything to lead by example for the team on how the game should be played, the professionalism that should be taken towards the game. He did all of that. None of the Lakers' success was by accident. None of all of those championships was by accident. It's because they had the greatest player I'd ever seen. He was a guy, any team that he's on, you can construct a team any way you want. And your team was either going to be in the championship or competing to get the championship. And you'd win your fair share. Didn't matter who was around him. <laughs> he didn't need special players, specialized players. Whatever you could do, Magic would make it better. Whatever it took for you to score, he did it so you could get your points and feel a part of the team, which leads to people buying in, which leads to like, hey, we're going to do whatever we can to stop the other team because defense is hard work. Well, I'm, I'm ready to do this hard work because I contribute to on the offensive end. We need to get these rebounds. I'll get these rebounds. Bill Russell said that Magic was one of the best rebounders he had ever seen. He said it. You go watch game five of the Lakers series against the Sonics in 1980. Kareem's in his prime still. And Bill Russell says, yep, Magic's the best rebounder on this team. They need to get him in the game. And the announcer is stunned. The other announcer goes, wait a minute, Magic's the best rebounder. They have Kareem. He goes, no, Kareem gets more rebounds, but Magic's the best rebounder. He goes and gets the ball. So many stories like that uh, about Magic Johnson. The numbers back it up. The eye test backs it up. The winning backs it up. Best player I've ever seen in my life, Urban Magic Johnson. All right, y'all. That was fun for me. Mental exercise to, you know, I'd rather talk about that than talk about a lot of the other stuff we got going on. So we'll come back and maybe I will give you that comparison between the modern athlete in the black community and the uh, athletes from earlier times. Unfortunately, it's necessary because a lot of times uh, the black community finds its leadership in odd places. All right, so you can catch me here on Spotify. You can also catch me on uh, Apple Podcasts now, the Black History Fashion Show, y'all. Yes, the Black History Fashion Show is now on Apple Podcasts. I have been writing at the Dominguez Valley Hospital blog. So you can catch me there. I've had a few thoughts about uh, some undercover members of black community we've been discovering. So take care of yourselves. Keep your head on a swivel. And I'll catch you next time here on the Black History Fashion Show. Later, homies. <laughs>